Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We're going to talk about Zacchaeus this morning. I don't know when I've ever enjoyed preparing a a message than I have this week as uh, looking at this dear man. Luke chapter 19. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. With your Bibles open, would you stand with me in reverence of reading God's Word? Luke chapter 19, verse 1. The Bible says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was was short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, Make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He is gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord. I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Aren't you glad that verse 10 is in there especially? One of the greatest verses of all the Bible found there in verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Friend, you're here today, and you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has come to seek you out and to save you from your sins. Father, thank you for giving us the beautiful, beautiful story of Zacchaeus. Lord, what a remarkable story that it is of how this man came to know you and was born into the kingdom of God and became a new person. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, that's our prayer. That if there's one here today that has never received you as Lord and Savior. And that like Zacchaeus, they've come seeking. And Lord, may they find you in the presence of their life. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Anoint us with your power. Use us for your glory. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
I heard about this uh, bartender who claimed to be the strongest man in the community. And he even would go to say that if you could bring somebody that was stronger than I, I would give a thousand dollars. And so many people would come and try to take him up from that offer. Weightlifters, bodybuilders, longshoremen, these types of rough, tough type of guys. But no one could match this, the strength of this bartender. What he would do, he would take a lemon and he would squeeze all the juice out of that lemon until there was no more juice. Then if anybody could come and could squeeze one more drop out of that lemon, that they would win the $1,000. Well, a number of people tried, but to no avail, they were not able to succeed. And then there was one day, this scrawny-looking little man walks into the bar. He has big old thick rim glasses, polyester suit with a little squeaky voice. And he said, I'd like to take you up on that, uh, that bed. Everybody began to laugh and they began to think, ha, how in the world can this guy could ever beat that bartender of strength that he has? So the bartender took that lemon and he squeezed it. And he squeezed, uh, he thought, every bit of juice out of that lemon. Then he turned it over to that guy and kind of laughed. And he said, ha, try to get one drop of juice out from that lemon. That little scorny little guy got that lemon. And he squeezed it one drop, two drops, three drops, four drops, five drops, six drops of lemon. Everybody was amazed. And they quit laughing and they couldn't believe what they had seen. And then that uh, bartender said, man, I've never had anybody beat me like this before. He said, by the way, what do you do? He said, "Uh, are you a weightlifter? Are you a bodybuilder? Are you a longshoreman or something? He said, no. He said, I'm from the IRS. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing what the IRS can squeeze out of you, friend. Well, we're going to uh, look at a guy that was from the RRS, the Roman Revenue Service. His name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, they say. Ah, I remember from my childhood days in Sunday school, reading and learning about Zacchaeus. No doubt, perhaps even today, somewhere around the world, that they're singing a little song that we've learned when we were very young. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree. For the Lord he wanted to see. You've sung that song before, haven't you? Yes, sir. You're familiar with it. 
Oh, my friend, I want you to understand. Zacchaeus was a man that, no doubt, God blessed in a remarkable, remarkable way. In fact, as popular as Zacchaeus is, you know, he's only found one time in the Bible. And that is Luke chapter 19 that we've just got through reading here. And in young and old, it has, he has blessed hearts of individuals of the story of salvation that came to his life. His name means pure, means righteous. Now, of course, he was anything but pure and righteous when uh, we first meet him in the story. But later on, as we find that salvation came unto him and because of salvation and through the righteousness and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ washed him and made him a pure, pure vessel. Let's look at Zacchaeus for a few moments. First of all, I've broken it down into three categories. First of all, let's think about Zacchaeus, the little man. The little man. The Bible describes him in verse 3 of chapter 19 of Luke. said he was little in stature. Well, immediately that begins to tell us something, and it begins to describe to us the statue of Zacchaeus. The stature of Zacchaeus. In other words, his size. And so immediately as we began to read this passage of Scripture, we get the picture of a small, short, little man. I'm sure he had heard all the uh, jokes about short people. I'm sure he probably had heard the joke about, you wouldn't make too good of a shortstop. <laughs> or you probably, your favorite recipe is strawberry shortcake. And so he's probably heard all those stories and those jokes from his youth up. One commentary said, for Zacchaeus to be short by ancient Mediterranean standards probably mean he was less than five feet tall. So that means that he was a a little guy. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. I love Warren Wiersbe. I don't know if you've ever read behind him. I know, Brother Fred, you have. And Brother Warren Wiersbe is such a great theologian. But he said something that I thought was very interesting about the stature of a man. Listen to what he says. He says, in a spiritual sense... All of us are little of stature. For all have sinned. And what? Come short of the glory of God. I had never thought about that before, but he is so true in his statement there. He says, no one measures up to God's high standards. We are all too little to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that is so true. By God's standards, is high. And by God's standards, we are all short. We all have come short of the kingdom of God. But 
When you think about Zacchaeus, you have to think about his occupation because the Bible refers to him as a one that would collect taxes. The Bible says in verse 2, as he was a tax collector. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. And the Bible says he was rich. So immediately the Bible begins to describe him, describes his occupation, describes his wealth. Several occasions as you go back and you study the New Testament, it mentions about publicans, not republicans, but publicans. And so a publican was one who collected taxes for the Roman government. And so what Rome would do, it would divide its region into different districts. And in those districts that they would then uh, begin to place tax collectors in those districts. What they would do, they would, the, the local people would bid for those districts. And they would become tax collectors for the Roman government on the behalf of that particular district. Now, a chief publican, or chief among the publicans, he was one that had won the contract of that district. And he would have several others that would work under him to collect the taxes for the Roman government. Now, the Bible mentions that Zacchaeus, being rich... I believe what that literally means is a reference that he was a publican of who have collected taxes and he has received much riches from those taxes. See, what Rome would do, they would set up a certain amount that would be required for those taxes. The chief publican would come back and he would advance or add to that requirement and what he would do as he would collect the taxes from the people, he would then send what the Roman government would require and then he would keep the rest for himself. That's how he got rich. And so Zacchaeus, no doubt, was one of those, a chief tax collector. And so there... He had collected taxes, and he put the extra in his pocket. John the Baptist spoke about the publicans. John the Baptist said in Luke chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, he says, then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? Now listen to what John the Baptist said. And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. In other words, he said, quit taking advantage of the people. Collect only what was required. 
And for such reason, you can understand why people hated tax collectors. Why they hated publicans. They were widely regarded as thieves. Widely regarded as robbers. And a hint of how the Jewish people felt about the tax collectors. Matthew chapter 9 verse 11 says, And when the Pharisees saw it, They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They placed the tax collector and the thief and the sinner in the same category. Publicans and sinners were viewed as the same. They were viewed as traitors. They were viewed as turncoats. Because after all, they were working for Rome and they hated the Roman government. A publican was even prohibited to even to attend the synagogues. That's the way that they looked upon him. They looked upon him as being unclean. And even a publican was uh, considered to render one spare, they would not... Uh, render to him ceremonial rites because they would consider him being very unclean. So you can imagine. A tax collector didn't have too many friends. And no doubt Zacchaeus was just like that. He was not only a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. Had others that worked underneath him. And people looked at Zacchaeus as a robber, a thief, a sinner. So you see a little bit about his occupation. But let's go a step further and notice his preoccupation. It's interesting that the truth about his wealth, that you get the idea that Zacchaeus was seeking something. That there was something missing in his life. You get the idea that Zacchaeus was not a happy person. That he was probably miserable. I reminded of what Andrew Carnegie said. He says millionaires seldom smile. They have so many things on their mind that they have lost the joy. They don't have the joy. But you would think someone that have riches and wealth would have joy. Because people think, oh, if I had just a little bit more, I would be a little bit more happier. And yet, the truth is told, the more you have, maybe the less you're as happy as you are. We read in verse 3 that Zacchaeus saw the Lord Jesus and who he was. Somewhere, sometime, somebody had told Zacchaeus about Jesus. Could it possibly have been Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector. You remember what Jesus said to Matthew in 
Luke chapter 5, verse 27, 28, where he says, follow me. And he had left all and followed him. Possibly, Matthew could have said, Zacchaeus, I know the answer to your problem. I know where you can find joy. I know where you can find peace. Zacchaeus, I know this man by the name of Jesus. He can change your life. And so the Bible tells us that he began to seek after this one called Jesus. I wonder if he was tired of living the way that he was. And you know the story. The Bible tells us that Jesus goes into Jericho and crowds are everywhere. Now, Jesus, this is, as I can understand in the Scriptures, the last time that Jesus came through Jericho. In fact, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to go to the cross and there at the cross would be crucified. And the Bible says in verse 3 that as Jesus was coming through Jericho, the Bible says that Zacchaeus, he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. And so as Jesus was passing through, the Bible says in verse 4, So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. I like what one commentary said about that passage of Scripture. It says Luke may have been presenting Zacchaeus' action as a commentary on Jesus on Jesus' words that unless people become like little children, they cannot enter into the kingdom of God. There's no greater, no greater need than coming to an understanding that you have a need to get in contact with Jesus. No greater need. And here is a man, by example, that he's willing to do whatever that he needs to do just to get a glimpse of Jesus as Jesus is passing by. Nothing can satisfy his heart. No doubt he was a rather a desperate man. As I can almost imagine Zacchaeus being that short little guy running his little legs off as fast as he can, trying to get ahead of the crowd. And he couldn't look over the crowd. And so what does the Bible say? He climbs up in a sycamore tree just to get a glimpse. Well, we've looked at Zacchaeus as the little man. But oh, you must come to understand something about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was not only a little man, he was a lost man. He was a lost man. Listen to what the Bible says there in verse 19. We've already 
spoke about that verse, but listen what it says. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Lost! I believe that's the most terrible word in the English language. Lost. Lost. I think about Paul as he was witnessing to King Agrippa when he said, you're almost there. And that Agrippa said, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. A man that was lost, but was almost was found. Lost. I read about in the paper not too long ago about this lady and her children. That they were out on an expedition and their car broke down and in a place of where there was nothing but woods. They could not get anybody on their telephones. And so they got out and started walking. And they walked and they got into the woods and they got lost in the woods. And it took them three days before someone found them. She said it was the most horrible, horrible experience that she had ever had in her life. Because she was lost. As terrible as that may be, nothing could be any more worse than a man who does not know Jesus Christ and that he's lost and he's headed for an eternal damnation called hell. Lost. Lost. Zacchaeus, the Bible tells us, he was a lost man. Oh, bless his heart. See, when you think about that lostness, you can't help not to recognize the seriousness of his lost condition. Lost literally means to destroy. Lost means to perish. You remember when Jesus sent his disciples out, he said, I want you to go and find the lost sheep. There in Matthew chapter 10. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why there's a cross on our steeple today. Because people are lost that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Terrible, terrible. To think that there's someone that is living a life and that to realize that at any moment that heart could stop. And by being lost, they go out into eternity and to spend that eternity in hell. Oh, I know, I know today... 
in our fluent society, we're not supposed to talk about or preach about hell. But my friend, I'm here to tell you, the Bible says there is such a place. And by you thinking that there is not, or by you thinking that we can just not mention it and it's going to go away, it is not. I am reminded of Sir Francis Newport. Sir Francis Newport was the head of an English infidel club. On his deathbed, this is what he said. You need not to tell me that there is no God, for I know that there is one, and that I am in his angry presence. You need not to tell me there is no hell, for I already feel my soul slipping into his fires. How sad. How sad, sad, sad. All of his life, he boasted about he was an infidel. But coming down to the point of death and the reality of judgment and hell fell upon him. But you not only recognize the seriousness of the sin, but you notice the symptoms of his sins. Verse 8 says, we have, we have here a hint that Zacchaeus was a typical tax collector. For he said, here in this verse, taking anything from any man by false accusation. He said, I would restore what I have extorted fourfold. Fourfold. As I said earlier, most view publicans and sinners and thieves and robbers all in the same category. Zacchaeus had cheated. He had stolen from the people. Zacchaeus was a robber, an extortionist. I'm reminded of what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what he says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, or adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Now that's a promise. Not only a statement, but that is a promise. Now, it does not say that if anyone steals, that he cannot or will not be saved. That's not what the Bible's talking about there. It's a deeper problem than that. Paul mentions, what Paul mentions here are nothing but symptoms. Symptoms. They're not the problem. He mentions sins, plural. The problem is sin, singular. 
My friend, I want to remind you, man is not a sinner because he sins. He sins because he's a sinner. And friend, I want to remind you that he's not lost because he cheats and steals. He cheats and steals because he's lost. It goes much deeper. All those things are nothing but symptoms, characteristics of the sinner. What goes deeper is, is that man is a sinner. And he's a sinner in a lost condition. For the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The evidence of our sin problem is that we commit sin. My friend, I want to remind you. God has a standard. And that standard is high. And unless you meet that standard, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And my friend, by your own efforts, you'll never meet it. It's only by the blood and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that you'll ever meet the standard of a holy God. So you notice the symptoms of his lost condition. I read this statement about Hudson Taylor the other day and I thought, wow, so true. As Hudson Taylor was on his way to China, the captain said to Hudson Taylor, Taylor, do you think the heathens will be lost if you don't go to China? Hudson said, I think the heathens are lost and that's why I am going to China. Big difference. Big difference. Oh, my friend, I want you to understand that Zacchaeus was not just a little man. He was a lost man. But I'm so grateful to know, thirdly, that Zacchaeus was the Lord's man. Oh, the story gets better. And I refer to Zacchaeus being the Lord's man Because the Bible says on this particular day, the Lord said in verse 9 that salvation came to that house. Salvation of the Lord. The greatest day of my life was the day I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Every one of us could say a hearty amen. Pastor, you're right. The greatest day of my life is the day as a child or a childlike faith, I reached down and I asked Jesus to come into my life. And he changed us. And he came into our life. I like that little song, Philip. Doddridge, oh, happy day, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. He taught me how to watch and pray and live rejoicing every day. Happy day, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. Amen. 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 Happy day.
that when Jesus washed my sins away. I want you to notice two things very quickly about this man by the name of Zacchaeus and why he became the Lord's man. First of all, the miracle of his salvation. The miracle of his salvation. Salvation is nothing less than a miracle. I hear these uh, miracle preachers sometimes on the uh, TV talk about how great some of these miracles of healing the physical realm. Well, yes, God can heal the physical. And not the individual, but God can heal the physical. But my friend, as great as those miracles might be, nothing's any greater than the miracle of salvation. To take a man that was lost and let him be found. Take a man that was in darkness and bring him into light. Oh, one of the greatest, if not the greatest miracle that one could ever, ever experience is the miracle of salvation. The Bible says in verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, I want you to listen and look at verse 5 very closely. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Three things, very quickly, what I see out of that verse of scripture. First of all, Jesus knew where he was. Isn't that amazing? Out of all the people there in Jericho, did somebody come to Jesus and say, Now there's a little bitty man up in the sycamore tree, and I want you to be on the lookout for it? No. You know why Jesus knew where he was? Because Jesus knows everything. He knows where we're at. He knows what we're doing. He knows what we're experiencing. Here he was, and the Bible says he looked up, and he saw him. Man, when I think about that, Jesus is personal. He doesn't just look in a crowd and see a crowd, but he looks and he sees you personally. Oh, he saw him and he said, Zacchaeus. Well, who had told him what Zacchaeus' name was? Nobody had told Jesus Zacchaeus' name. He looked up, he knew where he was, he knew who he was. Zacchaeus. Oh, I'm so glad that Jesus knows my name. He knows my name. And my friend, he calls my name. And he tells me I'm his own. Paul, glory to God. That Jesus knows where I'm at and he knows who I am. But thirdly, he knew what he was. He knew what he was. He says, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Now, think about it. It's not normal 
for you to invite yourself to somebody else's house. I mean, you just don't go up and say, hey, by the way, what you got for dinner? I'm coming over tonight. But Jesus did that. Isn't that amazing? Especially no Jew would invite himself to a tax collector's house. He definitely would not do that. But Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. Look at what he says in verse 7. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. I'm so glad Jesus is a friend of sinners. <laughs> My friend, if he wasn't a friend of sinners, he wouldn't be a friend of mine. And he wouldn't be a friend of yours. Jesus knew where he was. Jesus knew who he was. And Jesus knew what he was. And my friend, that didn't matter. That didn't matter. He had one ambition, to go to his house. And so, you see the miracle of that salvation. Oh, out of all the people there in Jericho, Jesus points Zacchaeus out. But I want you to notice the manifestation of that salvation. I once heard that uh, if you've been saved, it's like getting the measles. It pops out all over you. You can't keep it quiet. If you really, really get saved, my friend, people are going to know it. And they're going to know that there's something different. Salvation is like sin in a way. It manifests itself. You allow sin in your life, it manifests manifests itself in your life. You have salvation in your life, it just shows. It doesn't take me very long to be around somebody for me to know whether they're believers or not. Just by their spirit. By their spirit, by their talk, by their actions. You know that they're brothers and sisters in the Lord. I've had, I've had occasions being in another part of the world that I could not speak, speak their language, but I knew that they were my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Oh, my friend, there's two things, quickly, that what salvation did to Zacchaeus should do to you and to me. First of all, you'll notice there in verse 8, salvation made him aware of his service. He said he was rich and he wanted to take his possessions and to help others. You know what salvation did for Zacchaeus? It made him a giver. It made him want to give. He said, I'll take what I've got and I'll give to the poor. I I, I, I praise the Lord for that. 
Because, my friend, when God saved me and he gave me the peace of God in my heart and my life, I feel that it's an honor and a privilege for me to give when it comes time to give. I have that desire. So there, salvation made him aware of service. But salvation also made him aware of sin. The Bible said he was convicted of his sins. It says, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I will restore it fourfold. Man, you're talking about repentance. You're talking about wanting to get right. He not only wanted to get right with God, he wanted to get right with his fellow man. He said, I'll restore it fourfold. He became sensitive to sin. Have you ever noticed that when you get saved, that you become sensitive to sin, that you don't like the things that you used to like? You don't do the things that you used to do. You hate the things that you used to love. You become sensitive to sin. The greatest assurance of salvation found in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. Somebody says, how do you know you're saved? Because the Word of God says so. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall know that you have eternal life. It's not based upon my works. It's not based upon my merit. It's not based upon my righteousness. It's based upon the Word of God. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. I see any one of us, any Zacchaeus out there today, if you'll call upon him, my friend, he'll save you just like he did the Zacchaeus here today. John 3, 36 says, Who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. First Corinthians talks about, Paul says, therefore if any man or anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creature, a creation. All things have passed away and behold, all things become new. You're a new child of God, headed in a new direction, with a new desire. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God for God reaching down, picking up a little bitty man by the name of Zacchaeus who became a big man in the eyes of a holy God. What about you, sir? What about you, ma'am? Do you have a desire to see Jesus this morning? He's here. He's passing through. Just like he did that day as he came through Jericho. 
If you have the same desire as Zacchaeus did, he'll save you just like he did Zacchaeus. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for reminding us the beautiful story of the salvation of Zacchaeus. Help us, dear Lord, to realize the importance of you passing by and what a tragedy it would be to come into a house such as this here today, the house of God, and that you are coming through and people would neglect seeing you, neglect calling out to you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, if there's one here today that does not know you, and have experienced you, that they'll do it today, just like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus realized that today is the day of salvation. May never get another chance. May never get another opportunity. Today is the day. Bless this time, dear Lord, as a holy time. And may there be a movement moved by the Holy Spirit upon the hearts and lives of individuals. In Jesus' name. Invitation is something as as serious as anything we do here. It's the time that the Holy Spirit of God begins to move and work in the hearts and the lives of individuals. Sometimes he's moving with salvation. Sometimes that Holy Spirit begins to pull and nug at that heart and soul. Be sensitive to it. Yield to his leadership. Come and give your heart to Him today. Sometimes it's not only for salvation, but it's for service. Maybe there has come a time in your life of where your salvation has come cold and complacent. And you don't have the zeal and the excitement that you did when you got saved. Why don't you come and renew that relationship with Him today? Sometimes in that midst of services when God's leading people to unite with the church by letter, by baptism, by statement, that's a time for you to come forward. So, as you see, salvation by service, by sanctification. So how God's moving upon you, will you be sensitive? Will you yield to His, His leadership? I trust you will.